Well, let's turn to Luke chapter 12. We're going to study this section of God's Word together this morning. Where does hope come from? That's what we want to think about uh, today. Where can we find hope? In these days, it's easy to find ourselves consumed, even overwhelmed by fears and worries, by the uncertainties of the circumstances that we're in, concerns about ourselves, about others, about the future, about our children, about their education, about our parents, about our health, our jobs, our finances. There's so much that is coming at us. And there's no doubt factors that we haven't even begun to consider that'll reveal themselves in later days. And we'll think to ourselves, I only thought I was worried. Now there's more things to think about. And people are looking for hope in these days. And where do we find it? Well, hope requires two things. It requires something bigger than the problem. It requires something that can solve the problem. And then it requires a connectedness to that something bigger. Think about it this way. A small boy in the school playground is being bullied by uh, some guy who's two classes above him. And he's picking on him out at break time in the playground. And then over both of them looms a bigger shadow. There's a stronger, tougher fellow has appeared in the scene. He's bigger than the bully. So that satisfies one of the requirements. Then he speaks and he says, What are you doing with my brother? See, there's a connectedness to the something bigger or to the someone bigger. And this is what gives us hope. We see it, you know, if we're if we're in the sea and uh, we're struggling to stay afloat and somebody comes along in a boat and they throw us a life ring. The boat's bigger than us. The life ring has greater buoyancy than us. And particularly if the life ring is then, first of all, caught by us, we need to be connected to it and it's connected to the boat. Then we've got great hope, great hope of rescue. Sometimes circumstances show us that we have put our hope in something that wasn't as big or as important as we thought it was. And circumstances trump our hope. And that can be devastating or it can be disconcerting. Sometimes we find that we aren't as connected to the thing that we were putting our hope in as we thought. Like grabbing hold of a rope and finding that the other end isn't tied on. And often we find hope in what we treasure and what our priorities are and what matters to us. Whatever captures your heart controls our head. And these two passages that we're looking at today both speak about what people treasure, what they've put their value in, where they're looking for hope. One man finds it has failed him completely and it's too late, tragically too late. Others find that they have put their hope in something that has far, far exceeded their expectations. They find not only something bigger than the problem, but they find that they are connected in the most personal way that gives the richest, the richest of hope. So what do you treasure? Because ultimately that's where hope 
comes from. And that's what we want to look at. In verses 22 and following, Jesus gives some of the richest and gentlest imagery and assurances anywhere in the Gospels. He sets out some of the benefits of knowing God, peace and provision. And his repeated command not to be afraid or not to worry speaks of a freedom from soul-paralyzing anxiety. But before we look at those verses, we need to see what's been happening in the previous verses. They set up this exchange. There's a contrast, there's night and day. And in doing so, we'll see that they speak right into our world in 2020. First of all, I want us to, to see the folly and failure of misplaced faith. You have to smile at verse 13. There's a crowd, a vast crowd of thousands of people. And Jesus has been teaching them. And he's been covering some fairly profound areas. He's spoken about hypocrisy amongst religious elites and religious leaders. Pointing the finger at them. And then he's speaking about life and death. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. He might have said today, don't be afraid of what can kill the body, but after that does no more. He says, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And he's going to go on and say to God's people that they don't need to be afraid. And these are things to be considering. And things to be pondering. And then this guy shouts up, Hey, teacher, tell my brother to, to divide the inheritance with me. Think, have you not been tracking? Have you not been hearing? These, these deep, profound issues. And all you can think about is this inheritance, this family dispute. And in Jesus' response, and in the parable he tells, he shows the tragic folly and danger of misplaced priorities and misplaced trust. And I want us to note two things briefly as we see this. There's a misplaced trust. Instead of getting sucked into this family row, Jesus goes a bit deeper with this. He tells a parable. And it's short. But boy, it packs a punch. It's about a rich farmer. He's already rich, but he has an abundant harvest. And so he plans to tear down his storehouses to build bigger ones to store these crops so that he can sell them and make a profit and retire and take life easy. Sounds great, but there's a flaw. He's left God out of his life entirely. He's focused on all the wrong things. Life is all about him and what he has. And therein lies the problem. There's no problem owning things, as long as things don't own us. There's no problem with living life, as long as life doesn't live us, and this life becomes all that we live for. And the way Jesus tells the parable is, is brilliant. It's pithy, but it highlights the man's self-reliance at every term. Did you hear it? It's all my crops and my barns, and my surplus grain, and he stores up for himself. Nobody else appears here. 
He's not sharing it. In a world where people made their decisions communally, he talks with himself about it, not anybody else. I'll do that. I'll do this. I'll say to myself, it's all about me. Verse 19 we read, and the New International Version translates it, and then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things. More literally, um, some versions translate it more literally when they say, and then I will say to my soul, soul, you have plenty of good things. Or I will say to myself, you know what, self? You've got plenty of good things. You know, whenever somebody talks about themselves in the third person, it kind of is a giveaway. They're a bit self-involved. They say that General Douglas MacArthur was known for his, his pride and he liked to talk about himself in the third person. There, there could be two people standing in a room and MacArthur would say, MacArthur has decided to go into active command in the field. Look around. Well, you're talking about yourself. Well, here's a man who refers to himself in this way. Self, come on, self, let's do this. And he thinks that his soul, his self, that all it needs is to eat and drink and be merry, and he's got it sorted. Where's his trust? He's a self-made man. He doesn't even recognise, actually, that he didn't make the ground produce the crops, the way even Jesus tells it. He says, the ground of a certain rich man produced an abundant harvest. This man, it's all about me and how well I've done. At no time does he acknowledge his debt to God or his responsibility to others. And I think this is a great picture of our world. A great picture of our world. We have been self-made as we thought. Self-reliant, self-contained, trusting in our abilities and our advances and our technology. And the late 20th and early 21st century has been about an unprecedented gathering of stuff, an abundance of possessions. And yet what do we have that God didn't give us? But we've made those good things into God things. And like this man, we're finding the danger of misplaced trust. Maybe you've sensed it over these last days. I think God has been showing our world that we've got our priorities all wrong. Our priorities aren't our jobs, our money, our sport, our entertainment. Not me and what I can do. You see what Jesus says? A man's life, a woman's life, does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. It's not about stuff. Stuff can't give you hope. And we've seen that in recent days when pictures of people in ventilators, it doesn't matter how much stuff you have. Life is more. It's more than the abundance of possessions. And so there's a misplaced trust. Let's not miss the point. There's a bigger priority we all need to have. And the second thing to see in this misplaced uh, trust that he has is a missed eternity. There's a tragedy in all this. God speaks to this man with his messed up priorities. For this man, it's going to be too late. Tonight, your life will be demanded of you. Now, I want to be very, very, very clear here. I'm not saying that people who have died because of COVID-19 or been infected were in the same category as this man. 
but in a very general way. This is the story of our world, for we have loved created things more than the Creator who gave them to us. We've piled them up and we've said, well done me. I've plenty. I've plenty laid up for myself. Now I can relax a bit and eat and drink and be merry. And in the parable, God speaks to our world. And he says, that's folly. That's utter, utter folly. This stuff isn't big enough to hang our hopes on. You can't even take it with you. Do you see what God says? He says, Who, who's going to get all of this stuff, all of these crops? Who will get what you've prepared for yourself? You had all these things laid out for your soul. But tonight your soul will stand before me and those things, they'll be left here. And the danger of misplaced trust is that we miss out eternally. And in our world at the minute, it's as if God is saying, stop, don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. It's not about stuff. It's not about it. So here is a first century warning to the 21st century world and the 21st century Ireland. God says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Here is a man who has no time for God, and, and maybe that's been you. And now God has graciously given you time to think about what matters. Rather than taking your life, he's maybe taken those things that we've looked to for security and enjoyment. Those things that made us feel okay about the future. They're all on pause for now. Or maybe they're even gone. But if they, if that helps us to be ready for eternity, then that would be a mercy. Now you can start to find hope in all the right places instead of finding out too late that you had it in the wrong place. And then what Jesus says next is the reverse side of the coin. Having shown us an emptiness, he shows us a fullness. And I want us to see in the second place, not the folly and futility of misplaced trust, but the help and hope of trusting in God. The help and hope of trusting in God. Jesus turns from the man to his disciples. That's key. He turns to his disciples and he speaks to them. And he unpacks the riches of belonging and knowing God. If you are someone who has asked Jesus to be your saviour, that makes you a follower or a disciple of Jesus. And this rich truth belongs to you. If you're someone who found themselves stopping and thinking about life because of present circumstances, wondering about how to live in such a world without worry, look what's on offer. If you are someone who hears the instruction, do not worry about your life, and you think, how can that be? Are you for real? Then let's follow his words and see where they take us. He's not saying, don't worry, you big sissy. Man up and get a grip. He's far too gentle for that. He knows our fears and burdens and our cares, and he sympathises. This instruction to not worry is rooted in something far, far deeper and richer. It's so deep and so rich that it kills worry. What could that be? Well, it's something, someone bigger 
than all the trouble, bigger than life itself, someone that we can be joined to and connected to. And I see two things here. First of all, the Christian has an all-powerful father. The Christian has an all-powerful father. Jesus gives a series of pictures. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. Go out and look, he says, at those dirty big black birds. They're noisy. They're aggressive. They're scavengers. They were regarded by the Jews as unclean. Jesus says, yeah, but God cares even for them. Then he says, consider the, the lilies. They're at the opposite end of the spectrum. They're beautiful. But who made them beautiful? Who clothed them? Their stunning colours and their delicate fabric of their petals. And from the lowliest bird to the loveliest flower, Jesus says, look, God has provided for them. And then he makes a contrast. Verse 30, he says, For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father, your father knows that you need them. Here's the clincher. God cares for that big black scavenger of a raven. God cares for the little lilies. He's God to them. But he's your father. He's your father. The person who's become a Christian has been brought into the family of God by God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's hope and power. Or sorry, there's hope because it's got power and relationship. The two things which give hope. Creator and Father. The Christian can say, the Creator is my Father. And my Father is the Creator. You remember how it was in the playground? Whenever we all like to boast about our dads being the best. Well, in that that playground way of speaking, there actually is a deeper truth. The one who comes to Christ as the greatest, biggest, most powerful and most loving father ever. You stand in a much more privileged position than the raven and the lily. And if he provides for them, how much more will he provide for you? The Christian is someone who's been adopted into God's family and they've trusted in Jesus. And here Jesus, the son, says to his adopted brothers and sisters, don't worry, I know my father. I know him inside out. He has this covered. Don't worry. It's like a big brother, maybe 10 or 12 years older than his littlest brother. And littlest brother is, is worried and upset about something, not sure that daddy has the money or daddy has the strength to provide. And big brother kneels down beside wee brother and looks him in the eye and says, don't worry, your father knows what you need. My father, your father is big enough to take care of it. And that's what Jesus is doing here for his younger brothers and sisters. Notice the contrast, how much more valuable are you than birds? How much more will he clothe you? If he does it for the temporary passing wildflowers and he does it for the common raven, how much more for his blood-bought children? 
How much more? He's saying it is utterly inconceivable that my father would not care or provide. So don't worry, because you have a father who provides. Fix your gaze on him who does that. So next time you see a blackbird or a crow, think to yourself, my father feeds them. How much more will he care for me? And you look at the flowers when you're out in your two kilometre limited walk. Look at the flowers and see the richness of the colour and the delicacy of the fabric and say, look, wow, God does that for them. How much more will my father in heaven care for me? Yeah, we can't go to the gym or the cinema anymore, but we can look at the skies and we can look at the hedgerows and we can say to ourselves, how much more, how much more will he care for me? And hear it not just from the blackbirds and the flowers, hear it from one who knows the father intimately. Here's the son saying to his brothers and sisters, you don't need to worry. And then he says, don't be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Oh, wow. That's at another end of a different scale entirely. He provides food and clothing. He does it for the ravens and he does it for the flowers. And he'll do that for you. And at the other end of the scale, he's given you an everlasting kingdom. And he's been pleased to do that, it says. It gives him delight and pleasure. And there's the two bookends. And if he does this, and he's done this, it's inconceivable that he will not take care of everything in between. Here's the extent of his generosity. Here's the size of his heart. It wasn't wrung from him reluctantly. It pleased him to do it. Dear friends, if you are trusting in Christ, you're not an orphan. You live in your father's world. And whatever comes, whatever it is, hard days, difficult days, sick days, even dying days, your Father will provide for you because he cares for you. So keep seeking his kingdom. Keep seeking his kingdom to live under his rule, to listen to his word, walking in his ways, and he will provide. Don't anguish and worry. Don't fall into that. You're, you're a, not an orphan. You're a child of the King. And if you haven't yet trusted in Jesus as your Saviour, come to him and you will enjoy this level of care. Do what it says in verse 31. Seek his kingdom. Say to him, I've tried to be king in my life. I've piled up this stuff, but it's no use. Will you forgive me? And will you let me be your servant and you be the king? help me to follow you. Change me and help me to follow you. And you will find this level of care because you will then have a father who provides. And then quickly and, and, and briefly just to close. Well, if we're not to gather up stuff in this world, does that mean we miss out? Just notice in closing that the Christian not only has an all-powerful father, but an everlasting treasure. Here is encouragement to keep trusting. You have a richer treasure, a kingdom, a kingdom that nothing can take away, that moth can't eat, that thieves can't break in and steal, that nothing can rob you of. A treasure that is untouchable, indestructible, 
unstealable. Peter says it's kept in heaven for us. You have a treasure that coronavirus can't take away. You have a treasure that COVID-19 can only take you towards. Imagine that. If we didn't have Jesus, if he wasn't our saviour, COVID-19, if it were to take our lives, would rob us of all our treasures. But actually, because of Jesus, all COVID-19 or any other means that brings about our demise can do is to bring us to our treasure. Here's the richness of trusting in Christ. And not just for eternal matters, but don't be afraid if COVID-19 wipes out your savings. It, it can wipe out your savings, but it can't wipe out your investment. You've invested in Christ. Don't be afraid if COVID-19 wipes out your job or farming or whatever it might be. It'd be sad. But it cannot wipe out your heavenly Father. He will always, always, always provide. The Christian is the richest person in the world because he has a treasure that no one can take away and he has a father that keeps giving and keeps providing. The implication of our treasure being greater and more secure than anything this world has to offer is that we don't need to be afraid. Grasp your father's care, grasp your greater riches and you will enjoy a real peace. So let me close by asking, where is your treasure? What has COVID-19 revealed to you about where your treasure is? Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or we could say, there your hope will be also. If your heart has its ultimate investment here on earth, then it will be all over the place. Fears and worries and uncertainties will plague it. But Jesus says, come to me. Give your heart to me. Put your hope in me. And if our ultimate hope and ultimate investment is in Jesus Christ, then you have a security that nothing can take and a love that nothing can diminish. Let me ask you again, where is your treasure? What have you given ultimate importance to? Where are you looking at in this? Let's tear our gaze away from the stuff that we may lose out on the circumstances that are pressing in on us and let's look to a father in heaven who says that he will care and he will love and he will provide if you're a christian seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added to you as well if you're not yet a christian come to this savior if you want to find out more uh, drop me a message and we can we can talk grasp that there's a father's loving care and grasp that he provides great riches to those who come to him. And then we'll not worry. Amen.